0: You're listening to The Choosing Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Robison. Every day we have the choice to walk in the freedom Christ offers or to lay it down in surrender to something other than the abundant life we are meant to live. God is actively pursuing you. He has an amazing plan for your life and that plan includes walking in freedom. The Choosing Freedom Podcast is a place for us to discuss how we strategically apply the truth of who God says we are to the lies we believe and the challenges we face. So bring your brokenness, insecurities, and whatever holds you back, and join us for authentic conversations about real issues, real hope, and real life change. In 1995, two social psychologists, Tom Gilovich and Vicki Medvac, published an article on the topic of regret. According to their research, time greatly impacts our experience with regret. Actions of errors or commission, in other words, the things we do or have done, generate more regret in the short term. But inactions or errors of omission, the things we didn't do, produce more regret in the long run. In the short term, we tend to regret actions more than inactions 53 to 47%. But over the long haul, we regret inactions more than actions 84 to 16 percent. Mark Batterson wrote a book titled simply If. In his book, he states, and I quote, let me make a rather bold prediction. At the end of your life, your greatest regret won't be the things you did but wish you hadn't. Your greatest regret will be the things you didn't do but wish you had. It's the what-if dreams that we never act upon that turn into if-only regrets. That doesn't mean we won't have some deep-seated regrets about things we wish we hadn't said or done, but our longest-lasting regrets will be the opportunities we left on the table. Those are the if-onlys that haunt us to the grave, unquote. That's a sobering thought. So how can we do our best to avoid those long-term regrets of opportunities missed? Matthew 6.33 tells us, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Not to sound overly simplistic, but when we seek God first, this means we go to Him first for help, for guidance. He becomes our go-to. He becomes the one we unload our struggles onto. He's the one whose insight we prioritize first. That may be a simple request for help, a short prayer. Before we do anything else, it may sound something like, God, I'm trying to seek you first. You tell me if I do that, you will take care of everything else. I'm claiming that promise. Show me what to do next in Jesus' name. It may be grabbing our Bible and turning to the index and looking up a topic we're dealing with, asking what God says about it before we consult anything or anyone else. It may be Googling scriptures about whatever we're struggling with or whatever decision we're facing. The key here is to seek what He says about whatever has captured our attention before we turn to the world for consolation or relief or direction. There's a lot clamoring for our attention, lots of opportunities where we can seek answers or comfort, and some of those opportunities are not good for us, so we have to be on our guard. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Well, that's pretty clear. Everything you do flows from it. When I read this, it made me think of our hearts being similar to a water filter. Its job is to remove or block the dirty, unwanted particles that could cause harm and only leave the clean, pure portion to flow through. That visual reminds us that guarding our hearts is a top priority. If the filter is compromised, everything that flows through it will be compromised as well. And the more clogged and obstructed the filter becomes, the more dirt and debris gets pushed back into the place of origin and the less good that overflows. When I envision this process, I can picture a nasty filter with this disgusting black slime that's preventing the good stuff from flowing freely. If you've ever waited a little too long to change your water filter, you know this stuff I'm talking about. And when I look behind the filter, I see that the gross stuff is contaminating the host as well as the overflow. Our adversary, the devil, wants to pollute our hearts and minds so that whatever flows from us is tarnished, so that others won't see who God created us to be, so that we won't live out our fullest potential, and so that we won't have the enormous impact we are meant to have, and so that we won't use our God-given talents and gifts. He will remind us of our past regrets, and He will tell us we don't have what it takes to fulfill our calling. He may give us thoughts of inadequacy, shame, weakness, defeat, jealousy, bitterness, you name it. He has an arsenal, and He is ready and willing to craft an attack on your heart, one that's very specific, that will push all of your buttons and trigger your tenderest places. Here's where we have the opportunity to draw a line in the sand. Let's take some thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. We can halt the cynical spin out with Scripture— Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Pray the prayer. If we need to confess that we haven't been putting God first, let's just get that done. That's a simple confession that may sound something like, Father, I confess I have not put you first. I want to put you first. From now on, show me how to do it. Help me to have wisdom and discernment like I have not had before. In Jesus' name. Confess it in your own words. God knows your heart. And don't be reluctant to ask God for more, more of Him than you've experienced before, more understanding of His love for you, more clarity when you read His word, more of whatever your heart desires from Him. Let's go a little deeper with confession and forgiveness for a moment. While we may need to allocate some time and effort to dealing with past regrets, to processing, asking God what we can learn from our past experiences or choices, asking Him if we need to make amends somewhere, we need to be diligent in avoiding a downward spiral of overanalyzing or obsessing over past hurts or failures or disappointments. There may be things that need to be surrendered to the Lord before complete freedom can come. If we are carrying shame, resentment, condemnation, jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness, any of those painful emotions we pack deep inside, we are going to have to surrender those to step into the fullness of our identity and our freedom. But the best possible news is that every single weight we carry is welcome at the feet of Jesus Bring your hurts, your imperfections, your traumas, and your disappointments. Tell God you're laying them down. Determine that you aren't going to sacrifice any more of your life to guilt and hurt and regret. We simply aren't going to be able to carry the weight of those into a future of no regrets. And if support is needed to walk this out, there is no shame in asking for help. Romans 8.1 tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus First John 1 19 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. Notice the if, if we confess our sins, it's our choice. Asking forgiveness doesn't have to be a dramatic event that we ponder over and procrastinate. He already knows what we've done, what we've thought. He heard what we said. But sometimes in our flesh, it sure is hard to acknowledge our sin out loud as though it somehow becomes more real because we say it out loud. But in truth, freedom won't come without the humility of confession. It's in our confessions we build a deeper relationship with God. We see His grace. We experience His mercy. And we begin to walk more freely. That baggage isn't ours to carry anymore. So think about what you're thinking about. Pray for discernment to recognize any lies you may be believing about who you are and who you are capable of becoming. James 1.5 tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, disapproval, or disappointment, and it will be given to him. So as we discern our next move, this is one way we partner with God. We ask And He doesn't look at us with a raised brow and a judgy, stern face. He gives generously to all. You can claim it. It's a gift. Ask Him to give you wisdom to make wise decisions and avoid regret. And then be prepared to act. Be prepared to use what He has given you to fulfill your calling. Make a plan to leave nothing on the table. In our last podcast, we talked about regular people taking the gifts they were given and using them to accomplish amazing things. Let's dissect a couple stories and see how they correlate to our lives today. One of my favorites is the biblical story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. There are multiple accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's pretty cool to read the different accounts as each one offers a slightly different perspective from each of their points of view. To the best of my understanding, this miracle occurs during a very sad time for Jesus, right after his dear friend, John, known as John the Baptist, had been beheaded in prison. When Jesus heard what had happened, the Bible tells us he withdrew by boat to find a solitary place with his disciples, who we are told had been out on mission for some time. I'm guessing everyone is feeling depleted in one way or another, physically exhausted, emotionally spent, mentally challenged, in need of rest, and maybe some time to process everything that had happened. But lots and lots of people who had either seen or heard about the miracles Jesus had been performing found out where he was going, and they left their towns and followed on foot. So when Jesus reached land, all these people were waiting for him. My heart goes out to Jesus and the disciples because I can think of a few times in my life when I felt completely empty and void of anything left to give. But it seemed like the world just continued to throw another thing and another thing at me until I didn't know how I was going to put one foot in front of the other. I wonder if you can relate. Seasons of loss, moments of great disappointment, especially challenging circumstances, those times don't just drain our emotional tank they expend our physical stamina as well. It can feel exhausting on all the levels. The Bible goes on to say that despite his weariness, Jesus had compassion on the crowd and began healing their sick. Can you imagine how far people must have been willing to travel to end their suffering and sickness? I cannot imagine the numbers and the long lines, the desperation. I envision the sickest of the sick parents carrying sick children, husbands carrying wives. It had to be a pitiful sight, but it also had to be an atmosphere of hope. Just imagine if you were 178th in line and as you waited, healed person after healed person walks by you after encountering Jesus. They were learning firsthand that this Jesus guy was the real deal. So the day goes on and you know everyone is worn out. Jesus, the disciples, the crowd who walked such a long distance. And as it's getting later, the disciples come to Jesus and say, we're out in the middle of nowhere, my paraphrase, and it's getting late. Tell all these people to go back to their villages and get something to eat. But Jesus unexpectedly replied, you give them something to eat. I can just imagine their faces. Don't you know they were probably thinking, what in the world are you talking about? One of the disciples pointed out that it would take about eight months wages to feed all these people. After all, there were 5,000 men. I'll insert here that it's believed there were closer to 15,000 people, maybe more, including the women and children. But then another disciple said that there was a young boy present with five loaves of bread and two fish, which he was willing to share. But how far could that possibly go? So in the midst of the dilemma over dinner, Jesus starts giving instructions for the disciples to have everyone sit in groups of about 50 in the grass. Scripture tells us that Jesus then took the loaves and fish, gave thanks for them, and began dividing them and giving them to the disciples to give to the people. The Bible said they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. Miraculous. So what we see here is this young boy whose name we don't even know, bringing what little he had in his present circumstances and offering it to Jesus for his blessing and to use as he saw fit. He didn't know he was about to be part of a miracle. He was simply one who was willing. Now let's acknowledge that the disciples didn't think much of this small amount that was offered. They felt like it was nowhere near enough. But when this small gesture was offered up for God's blessing, God multiplied what seemed like a little into more than enough let's also take note that all the people who traveled to see jesus had been hearing of his miracles that's why they came they wanted to see and receive these miracles for themselves notice jesus gave instructions for them to be seated in groups how long do you think it took for 12 guys to get fifteen thousand people to sit in groups of 50. no microphones no megaphones just 12 guys walking through herds of people And once they were seated, they received the miracle of being fed by Jesus. I love this reminder that often God leads us to take steps of preparation before we see what He's doing next, before we see the miracle, the deliverance, the freedom. And sometimes those steps may seem insignificant, but they're part of the preparation. They may seem small, but they're necessary. These people followed Jesus for one kind of miracle— And when they put him first, he gave them another kind of miracle they never expected. Seek him first and everything else will be added. In 2 Kings chapter 4, there's another story about a widow with next to nothing to care for the needs of her sons and herself. Her husband had died and his creditor was coming to take her two boys as slaves for her deceased husband's debt. Imagine the desperation. She clearly thought the prophet Elisha could give her guidance as the Bible implies he knew her husband. Nevertheless, she still reminded him of how her husband had been a godly man and had helped him in the past. Elisha offered to help her and he said, tell me what you have in your house. She told him she had absolutely nothing except a little oil. Elisha then said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars and set each one aside when it is filled. So she did what he told her to do. Notice she didn't ask questions about the steps she was instructed to take. She didn't say, why do we have to take all these jars in the house? Or why do we have to close the door behind us? What difference does that make? She was obedient in doing the little things she was instructed to do, and she didn't waste a lot of time analyzing if the tasks seemed mundane or trivial. She simply obeyed without knowing what was coming next. And her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. As a single mother of two boys, she faced a financial crisis like nothing she had ever known. Her husband had been a faithful helper to Elisha, but now he was gone. Not only was that devastating, but now she also feared losing her sons. In the midst of her impossible situation, she didn't lose hope. She didn't have the answer to her problems, but she knew her God was able. God worked a miracle in her life that day, providing a way to not only pay off her husband's debts, but to give her financial security for the rest of her life. The widow took what very little she had, sought God, obeyed taking the next step as she was instructed, and God multiplied it to meet all her needs, plus an abundant overflow. God did immeasurably more than anyone there could have asked or imagined. Where do you feel emptiness in your life? Where do you feel there may be lacking or opportunity for growth? Is there a gifting, a talent? that you have not wholeheartedly surrendered to God, invite God into that space. Ask Him what He wants you to know about where you are positioned right now. Ask Him to take what you have and to multiply it for His purposes, for the good of others, and for your own good. One more story. Exodus 35 in the Bible talks about the construction of a tabernacle. A guy named Moses was leading the effort because God had told him exactly what to do. That was a supernatural conversation in itself, if you want to read about it. Beginning in verse five, Moses instructs everyone who is willing to take an offering for the Lord from what you have. It wasn't an order. His instructions were to whoever is willing, and they were to take from what they had. The offerings were so diverse, like different colored yarns, bronze, silver, gold, goat hair, ram skins. Woods, oils, spices, gems, all kinds of assorted offerings. Everyone's offering looked different because they were bringing what they personally had to give, and all had something different. This sounds similar to the way we have unique gifts and talents, doesn't it? All of their gifts were different, yet valuable. Not only valuable, but necessary and purposeful. Next, Moses called for all who had skills to come and make what the Lord had commanded, to build a tabernacle. Had these people built a tabernacle before? No. You know, some of those people were probably standing around shaking their heads in doubt and dismay, but they brought their skills anyway. They were obedient to bring what they had, what they knew from simply living life where they were positioned. The Bible doesn't talk about them comparing their skills or talents or gifts or judging if one was superior or more useful They all had different life skills and experiences. They didn't stand around wishing they had something different, all the while wasting what they did have because they were too busy envying others to use their own gifts. I love how the chapter repeats the phrase, all who were willing, multiple times. I find it fascinating that no one was forced. This was a huge undertaking, but no one was told they had to do it. God wanted everyone's heart to be in the right place when they linked their willingness to his supreme power and authority. In the next chapter, we see that the people kept bringing offerings every morning, day after day, simply bringing what they had until the craftsmen who were doing all the work in the sanctuary went to Moses and said, the people are bringing too much. It's more than enough. And Moses then gave instructions to stop bringing the offerings. See, it's God's job to do the multiplying. We bring what we have and offer it to Him for His purposes, and He multiplies and expands beyond our capacity to understand. When we take what we have been given and offer it back to God for His blessing, He can do more than we can imagine. But when we hold back our gifts and abilities, we miss partnering with God in miraculous opportunities, and this causes regret, the long-term kind. Regret for missing the fulfillment we were meant to experience, for seeing God work in and through us. Regret for the lives we never impacted. So what may cause us to withhold the use of our gifts? I did a small social media survey and asked for input on this question. I was a little surprised by how many people said they weren't sure what their gifts are. I'm not sure why it surprised me when that was how I felt for much of my life. But I thought I was alone in that way of thinking, like maybe my gifts were just not as obvious, therefore not as significant or special or useful as the gifts of others. What a great reminder that so many of us have the same thoughts and feelings and questions, but seldom do we share those because the conversation can feel awkward or vulnerable. This is a great place to pause for a quick reminder of some of the things God says about you. You are chosen. Beloved, a child of God, a child of the King, you are accepted, not rejected. You are loved, not discarded. You are included, not abandoned. You have authority given to you through Jesus. You are created for impact. You are strategically positioned for the great plans God has for you to use your gifts, which He specifically designed for you. When it comes to discerning our own personal gifts, Pastor Rick Warren, the author of The Purpose Driven Life, has some practical and encouraging teachings about our gifts. He says, Do you know what God created you for? Do you know what your destiny is? There are several things you need to do in order to fulfill your destiny. The first thing you must do is recognize the gifts God has given you to use. These include the things you can't control—your parents, nationality, race, language— They also include your SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E, which stands for your spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. These are the things that make you uniquely you. Now, you are not responsible for the gifts God didn't give you. In other words, if you are not artistically gifted, you are not expected to paint like Rembrandt, but you are responsible for the ones he did give you. When you go to heaven, God isn't going to compare you with anyone else, but he will compare you with yourself. What did you do with what you were given? What could you have done if you had trusted God a little bit more? Romans 14, 12 says each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. He goes on to say that to discover our spiritual gifts, there are three steps we should take. Examine, evaluate, and experiment. First, we examine by studying each spiritual gift. Then we evaluate what we're good at. We can even ask a trusted friend what gifts he or she sees in us. That may make us feel a little vulnerable, but we can make it a little easier by saying something like, I'm trying to figure out what my gifts are or what I'm good at, and I wondered if we could do a little exchange. Like, I'll tell you some positive characteristics I see in you, and you can do the same for me, okay? I've done this one in the past. It was humbling, just broaching the subject, but also very reaffirming. And it gave me a chance to speak encouragement into someone who's special to me. So win-win situation there. Then Pastor Rick suggests we experiment by trying different things, volunteering to see what we enjoy. What sparks a desire to do more of that thing? Take a look around you at your sphere of influence. What have you been given? Who do you have access to? What are you passionate about? What prompts your creativity? How can you use those passions to bless someone else? First Peter 4.10 tells us that each should use whatever gift we have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. This is an instruction from scripture. Our choice to not use what we have been given is in fact an act of disobedience. That can feel a little like an elbow to the ribs, but sometimes truth does that, doesn't it? First Timothy 4.14 says, do not neglect the spiritual gift that is in you. Thank God for the gifts he has given you, even if you don't understand the extent of them yet. Ask him to show you more, immeasurably more, because what you have is part of a bigger story. Mark Batterson said, God is always preparing and positioning us for divine appointments, and prayer is the way we discern our next move. So keep those lines of communication open. They are literally our lifeline. Consider pausing this podcast and dedicating back to God the gifts He has given you. Even if you're using your gifts, I hope you will pause and ask Him to exponentially bless your efforts for His glory, the good of others, and for your own good. The more we use the gifts we've been granted, the bigger that muscle grows. Practice using them. Pray over them. Learn everything you can about them. Look for other people who may have the same gift and are stewarding it well, then learn from them. You will be amazed at what God will do with a willing heart that surrendered to Him. I want to also encourage you to pray against any strategies of the devil to thwart your use of your gifts. Isaiah 54, 17 states that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's a truth and a promise, but we have to use it. Pick it up and wield it on behalf of the most valuable people in your life, as well as yourself, and claim it over your divine purpose. That may be a prayer that sounds something like, God, I pray that no weapon formed against me or the use of the gifts you have given me will prosper in Jesus' name. Pray similarly over those closest to you. We are simply taking the word of God and praying those same words back to him. Isaiah fifty-five eleven 11 tells us that God's word will not return to him void, but that it will accomplish his purpose. Remember, we are on a spiritual battlefield. Expect opposition when you're walking in your gifting, but don't give in to fear. Use your weapons of warfare given in scripture. Submit to God, resist the devil, then he will flee from you. James 4, 7. Guard your input. Guard your heart. Surround yourself with people who are going in the direction you want to go. Expose yourself to truth. God's Word, devotions, books, podcasts, teachings, Bible studies, visits with people who inspire you. Be aware of being intentional. Motivational speaker, coach, and author Tony Robbins said, as simplistic as this may sound, commitment is still the common denominator separating those who live their dreams from those who live in regret. Commit to no regrets. Surrender the outcome to the Lord. God, please help me live my life in a way that leaves nothing on the table. I want to use everything you've given me. Please exponentially bless the work of my hands for your glory, for the good of others, and for my own good. In Jesus' name. God invites us into a hopeful future. He doesn't force us to use the gifts He has so generously given to us, but He gives access to whoever is willing to come to Him, to talk to Him, to claim freedom for the captives. Pray to live a life without regret, a life of impact, a life of immeasurably more. Stand in your identity, claim His promises, and choose your freedom. Thank you for listening to the Choosing Freedom podcast. If this episode blessed you, please help others find us. First, we hope you will subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. Then, if you're enjoying the show, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. This makes it easier for others to find us, and it is a great way for us to get to know a little bit about you. We would also love for you to share this episode with someone you care about. You can follow Choosing Freedom on Instagram and Facebook at Choosing Freedom Podcast, and on Twitter at I Chose Freedom Twenty Three. If you or someone you know have a testimony that relates to your freedom in Christ, and you would like for us to consider reading it on a. Few future episode, email us at choosingfreedompodcast at gmail.com. We are so grateful for you and look forward to our next time together on the Choosing Freedom Podcast.